The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Today we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1 talking about hope. I think, I think by nature we're all hopeful people. I don't want you to mishear hear me. I'm not saying that we're all optimistic. But this room is full of people who all of us make choices and we respond to others and to circumstances because we hope. The eternal optimists in this room are so because they believe that every hope can become a reality. The pessimists in this room are, are my wife, as she likes to call them, the realists in this room, are realists because they've seen hopes scattered like dust in the wind. See, in the greatest and most difficult moments of our lives, our hopes become evident as they are either realized or delayed or deferred or crushed. Make no mistake about it, we're all hopeful people. Paul David Tripp says it this way, he says, hope is always an object and an expectation. There's always an object of our hope and, and there's always an expectation. We're always hoping in something and asking that something to deliver something for us or to us. Tripp goes on to say that that's what the hope is. It's an object and an expectation. We tend to look for hope in all the wrong places. We look for hope where it can't be found, and we're so often disappointed and frustrated and confused because we want things to give us hope that just can't give us hope. Some of us hope in affirmation. We want to do things so that people will be pleased with us. Have you ever prepared something, maybe an experience or maybe a vacation you've worked hard to plan for, and you take your your kids on it, and it is not as amazing to them as you thought it might be. You show up at the Grand Canyon, and they go, wow, that, that's cool. Can I play on your phone, Dad? Maybe, maybe you've cooked a meal that was the best meal in the history of the world. It's a, it's a feast fit for a king. And your kid sees it and kind of goes, wow, can, can I have a peanut butter sandwich? That... That's never happened to me either, right? Some of us hope in affirmation. Now let me get real optimistic here. Others of us hope in safety and security. And the reality is we're all going to die. And most of the causes of death are far, far out of our control. Others of us hope in our skills or knowledge base or abilities. And we're all far from perfect. I know you're beaming with excitement now. The reality is, though, the the failures of all of our false and unfulfilled hopes, they're important for us to understand if we're really going to get to a place of true hope. They can actually be fulfilled. See, we started this service with a song that remembers the prayers of Israel, that God would come and give ransom to them as they mourned in exile that He would disperse these gloomy clouds and remove the dark shadows of death and bind the hearts of all nations together and cause divisions 
to cease. They hope that Emmanuel will come. And see, today we want to wander together into exiled Israel. Now they had, they had still they'd returned to their homeland, but they're still really in exile because God hasn't spoken in 400 years when we get to Luke 1. The Romans are oppressing them, and they need hope. And like them, we need to make sure we put our hope in the right place. So before we read the text, I want to remember four things about hope. Number one, the Christmas story is a story of hope. Well, thank you, Captain Obvious. It's actually a story of specific hope, the hope of ancient Israel that Messiah would come. And before we can realize true hope, we must understand our own hopelessness that just like Israel apart from Messiah, us apart from the Savior, we're without God, and the Scripture says without hope in the world. In order for an object, number three, to be worthy of our hope, it must repair that which is broken, it must It must heal that which has been wounded. Otherwise, we're going to be like that kid on Christmas morning and he sees that small little box, it's a rectangle shaped, and he just knows it's that new video game he wants. In two months, it'll be $19.99, but his parents paid $59.99 for it because it's Christmas. And he rips open the package and he opens the little box and there's socks inside. Wow, thanks mom and dad, that's just what I wanted. See, if we don't hope in something or someone worth hoping in, then our hopes are going to disappoint us. And then finally, hope is not a, it's not a bucket list item checked. It's, it's not the right drug taken or a house on a hill or the perfect job or spouse or the right salary or circumstance. Hope is a person, and Jesus is His name. So how is Jesus the culmination of the hopes of Israel? How how is He the one that we are to hope in? Before we really even dive into our text, let's look way back, really to the beginning of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve have been kicked out of the garden. They've received a, a curse, a discipline, and now the curse toward the serpent is spoken And God says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So Israel has heard this story over and over and over, and they begin to hope in the one who will crush the head of the serpent. And then it gets honed in a little bit more, and Moses tells the people, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, or from among your brothers, and to him you shall listen. So it's not just the the serpent crusher. He'll come in the form, in the way of the prophets who have come before. And then it gets honed in a little more in Isaiah. For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And over and over and over we see this hope growing in Israel. One of Isaiah's contemporaries, Micah, told even the place that this hope was coming from. But you, O Bethlehem, you're too small to be named among the tribes of Judah, but from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. His coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. 
See, that's the hope that Israel has as we step into Luke chapter 1. And in verse 26, we see that in the sixth month, that's in the sixth month of Elizabeth, Mary's cousin's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin, betrothed, that's like our word engagement, but really even more commitment than just a Western engagement. She was betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel said to her, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. She tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Well, Father, we thank you for this story that begins to tell us the story of the hope of all mankind. You tell us hope is like an anchor for our soul. That is, hope in Christ. And that the Scriptures were written down for our encouragement instruction, encouragement and instruction that we might have hope. You tell us that you're the God of hope and you fill us with hope, with all joy and peace and believing. So God, give us strong and steady hope in Jesus this morning. We pray in His name. Amen. So Mary has interaction with the angel Gabriel and... And so often when interaction with angels happens, she's perplexed. She doesn't know what to do. The angel says, do not be afraid. Apparently, Gabriel looked different than all those angels she had seen on the Hallmark Channel. And this encounter comes and she doesn't know what to think of his statement, oh, favored one. And so he repeats it again and says, you've found favor. And if this isn't strange enough for her. Well, then he, he makes another statement she just can't believe. You're having a baby. But how can this be since I'm a virgin? She asks. Can we understand why this is a problematic statement for her? Because virgins don't have babies. 
And so he's given her this amazing statement, but then it grows. Not just a miracle of a baby, but a miracle that you and all Israel have been hoping for. The next thing he says is he will be great and he will be called Son of the Most High. And there it is. For 400 years there's been silence. Something's just been spoken to her cousin's husband, Zechariah. And then this is a message about the Messiah. He would be the first Israelite who fulfilled the law of God. He would be the fulfillment of these words made in the Old Testament where God told Moses, you say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. They're like a child to me. Or the words of Hosea that spoke back about Egypt's slavery, or Israel's slavery in Egypt and forward to Jesus fleeing to Egypt. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. He will be called Son of the Most High. The hope of Israel is found in this one. But if that wasn't clear enough, then the angel says, He will be given the throne of his father David. The son of David. That's who Israel was looking for. Isaiah wrote, 700 years before the birth of Christ, when the son of David comes... He'll give sight to the blind, the deaf will hear, the lame will walk, the prisoner will go free, the crooked path will be made straight. He will rule on the throne of his father David. This is the son of David, the Messiah is coming. And if it wasn't clear enough though, then he says his kingdom will never end. This is the Davidic king they're waiting for. Well, how do we... How do we know this? How do we know this? Let's look back at the Old Testament. 2 Samuel 7.16, God speaks to David, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel gets a vision of the ancient of days, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. In Isaiah, again, 9-7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Psalm 145.3, your kingdom, this is the kingdom of God. It's an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures through all generations. This angel is saying, Messiah is coming and he's coming through you. And she says, how can this be since I am a virgin? See, it's a question that makes sense to us, but it's also a question that has a little bit of doubt in it. Now, I think it's a humble sort of doubt that's a wonder of how can this happen? And the angel responds to her with this word, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Now, that's a great and kind response. It's It's a little bit odd to me, though, because it's different kind of than the response her cousin's husband got just a few verses before. If we were to go back in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah, he's the husband of Elizabeth and he's a priest. 
And he and his wife, they're older and they've been praying for a baby, but she's barren and he's been chosen by Lot, the scripture tells us, to go into the temple. It's the hour of incense where people are gathered outside in the crowd and this priest goes into the altar of incense and the incense goes up, hopefully like the prayers of God's people, as a fragrant aroma to God. And they've been waiting for God to show up for four hundred years and there's been silence they've been told to wait in the temple a messenger is coming and a messenger does show up this day and it's the angel Gabriel and he says your your wife who's barren is going to have a child it says there appeared to him an angel standing at the right side of the altar of incense and he was troubled and fear fell upon him do not be afraid your prayer has been heard your wife elizabeth will bear a son you shall call his name john and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth he will be great before the lord then he's told he's the one who's going to prepare the way he's the one who's going to prepare the way how can i be sure of this zechariah said How can I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. How can I be sure? It's not really different than Mary's question all that much. And as we talk about hope, I think we need to talk about our doubts as well. See, we live in a culture where doubt is encouraged and kind of the buzzwords of the day are that we ought to embrace our doubts and just be real and raw and authentic with one another and through social media, the whole world, I guess. And I I don't know necessarily, I mean, we all have them and, and we do want to be authentic, but I don't know that the Scripture encourages doubt. It simply recognizes that we have it, but I think it's worth asking what sort of doubt do we have and, and are our doubts humble? And open to what God will do? Or are our doubts defiant and prideful and really just a mask, not doubt, but belief that God's not going to do anything? See, there are two problems. Two problems that Zechariah has. One is that he forgot the story he was living in. He forgot the story he was living in. Can you imagine Gabriel is there? How... How can I know for sure since I'm old and my wife is barren? Well, have you ever heard of Abraham, Zechariah? How can I know for sure? He's come in to pray and for 400 years they've been waiting on this word from Malachi. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way of the Lord whom you seek. And he will suddenly come where? To his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So they ought to be waiting for this angel to come with an announcement. He forgot the story he was living in. And second, he put himself at the center of the story. He kind of has what, what Tim Keller calls dishonest doubt. It's not, I don't understand God, but I'm ready to learn. He just doesn't believe. How can I know? Will you give me a sign? J.D. Greer speaks about this sort of doubt. He says, your doubt has to be open. If you really ask God from humble doubt for insight into who He is and what He does, He just might give it to you. 
He just might give it to you. Right in the middle of Mary's wondering, she gets this hope-filled statement, nothing is impossible to God. Nothing is impossible with God. See, Keller asks this about our doubt. Are we willing to doubt our doubts as much or more as we're willing to doubt God? Are we willing to doubt our doubts as much or more as we're willing to doubt God? Well, I want to hope in God, but this circumstance didn't work out. This thing that I wanted didn't pan out. Are you willing to doubt your doubts? Are you willing to doubt your doubts? Are we willing to recognize that right in the middle of our wondering that God might just show up and give us answers that we're not ready to hear and call us to surrender things that we're not ready to give because He is the God of hope. He's the God of hope. And so as we long in eager expectation, what is real and true hope? looks like. And perhaps one more thing we might need to notice in a world that is full of words is that sometimes when we have doubts, the remedy for those doubts is silence. People talk all the time about how I knew this must have been from God. This was a sign from God when this happened. Have you ever heard anybody say an angel struck me with silence for nine months and I knew that was a sign from God? Never heard anybody say that one? Can you imagine Elizabeth, she finds out she's going to be pregnant and her husband's silent the whole nine months and she just runs to find Gabriel and goes, thank you, thank you so much. All the ladies are laughing, not many of the men are. I'm not sure what that's about. See, maybe a posture of silence before the Lord is appropriate because Zechariah's got nine months to wrestle with his doubt and think about the goodness of God. We're not ultimately a people of doubt. We're a people of hope, specifically hope in Jesus. So what can we learn about Advent hope from this passage? What can we learn? I think, I think the first thing that we can learn is that hope comes to understand what the favor of God is. Hope comes to understand what the favor of God is. So for Mary specifically, it's, it's certainly that Messiah is coming, but for her specifically also, she is going to be the vessel through whom Messiah comes. What does favor look like for us? We hear a lot in our culture and in the subculture of the church about favor. And I want to tell you what favor is not before I tell you what it is because there's, there's a guy that's really, really popular, preaches on TV, there are thousands of people in his church and he loves to talk about favor. And he gets up and smiles and blinks and stares at the TV and says, now's the day of appointed favor. And then he, then he says what it means. That promotion you've been wanting, it's just around the corner. That new truck you've looked for, men, it's about to go on sale. College students, those finals you're taking, you're going to get all A's. <laughs> men, those shoes your wife's been accumulating, she's about to... Stop buying. No, he never says that, actually. See, that just kind of begs the question, what, what if I don't get all A's on my finals? I never did. What if I don't get that promotion? 
What if my wife keeps buying those shoes? My wife doesn't really buy a lot of shoes, okay? What does that look like? Does that mean I don't have the favor of God? No, I don't think that's what it means because that's not what the Scripture speaks when it speaks about the favor of God. Even for Mary, this favored one, she's going to go into her town and people are going to see her pregnant and many of them are not going to, not going to believe her story. They're going to speak evil of her. When her child is born, she and her husband are going to have to flee as refugees to Egypt because the king's killing all the boys in Bethlehem. They'll take this child before a prophet for circumcision in the temple, and the prophet's going to speak these wonderful things about her son, but then he's going to say, and an arrow is going to pierce your soul. But she's the favored one of God. So what is being under the favor of God mean for us? Just a, a couple of scriptures that might be instructive. First in, in Titus. First in Titus, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. It trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's the favor of God, that Jesus died and rose from the dead, and grace has been given, and we're waiting. For a blessed hope in Christ. That's the favor of God on us. Or as Hebrews 6 says, when God desired to show more convincingly a true and sure hope to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath. So by two things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steady anchor of the soul. A hope that enters to the inner place behind the curtain. See, when Zechariah went to pray at the hour of incense, he stood outside a curtain, and behind that curtain was the Holy of Holies. And only one man would ever go there, the high priest, only once a year, to put blood on the altar for the sins of the people on the mercy seat. And if he went in with unrighteousness in him, there's a rope tied around him to drag him out because he would die. But we have a hope that enters into a place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. See, when Jesus died, the veil in the temple was literally and figuratively torn in two. He's become our high priest. He always lives to make intercession for us. We have this hope because the favor of God is on us in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance It's an inheritance for all those who are in Christ, both Jew and Gentile. It's imperishable, it's undefiled and unfading, and it's kept for us in heaven. See, that's what the favor of God is, that we are in Christ. And if that's not enough to fill you with hope this morning, I really don't know what is. Hope understands what the favor of God is. 
is. And then hope magnifies the Lord even when it can't see and doesn't understand. Hope magnifies the Lord even when it can't see and it doesn't understand. Mary, just months later, after she sees her cousin Elizabeth, she sings a song that begins, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. See, we all have pain, and He is one day going to take it away. We all have disappointments, and He will give us a present and future comfort. We all yearn for justice and righteousness on earth, and He will rule in justice and righteousness. And so hope magnifies the Lord while we wait, because true and sure hope is always about Christ and His character. This real and raw, authentic hope in Jesus points away from me toward Him. Because see, in my flesh, you don't want me. I mean, you would not want me to be real, raw, and authentic. It's just ugly. I'd be walking up to people all day long going, you look horrible in maroon and white. I just would. And then when they hissed, I'd go, somebody's letting the air out of your brain. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. That's just a little bit of the ugly in me. I love my Aggie brothers and sisters. You have to when your team's five and seven, right? (laughs) See, real and raw and authentic hope in Jesus knows that, that my hope is not about the circumstance I face now, but it's about the story that I've been invited into that the Messiah of Israel and the Savior of the world has come. And so real and true hope magnifies the Lord. It magnifies the Lord. See, hope understands what the favor of God is, and hope magnifies the Lord. Hope grows like a baby in a womb that was barren. It starts at this small place, and it grows and grows and grows. And Zechariah and Luke 1.18 says, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And then after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when He looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. Hope is growing in her. And then her cousin Mary comes and when... Mary comes, the baby in her womb leaps for joy, and she says, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Hope is growing. Hope is growing. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Zechariah to hear those words of the angel and wonder, is this real? He knew knew one part of it was real because he couldn't talk. Can you imagine about... Six or seven weeks in, all of a sudden, Elizabeth is not feeling really well. She wakes up not feeling good, and he thinks, I know, I'll, she just needs some food on her stomach. I'll, I'll cook her favorite breakfast. And so he just scrambles some eggs, and he brings the eggs in that morning. And as the, the aroma of those eggs fills, fills the room, Elizabeth just goes, would you get those out of here? And he thinks, huh, could, could she really be pregnant? And then, nine or ten weeks in, she may have gotten just a touch moody. Again, silence was a good thing for him. And 
and they've had a good meal that night, and he's just getting settled into bed, and she goes, this is going to be crazy, but could you, could you go down to the convenience store and get me some pickles and ice cream? What in the world? And then about 14 or 15 or 16 weeks in, he notices this little bump. And, I mean, she's been hitting the lamb a little bit hard here lately, but, but, but could, it, could it be? And then, then there comes a day somewhere along the way where he knows and sees what he thought he would never see. And before they know it, he'll be holding a baby that they thought would never be born. See, that's what hope is like. That's what hope was like for Israel when they heard Adam and Eve about this serpent crusher. And then when Moses spoke of the prophet who would come, who would ultimately be prophet, priest, and king, Jesus. When Isaiah said, unto you a child will be born. Or when Micah said, O Bethlehem. Shepherd of my people is going to come through you and his kingdom will never end. And in the same way, hope grows in us when we begin to trust Christ. And the more we walk with Christ and follow Christ, it just grows and grows and grows in our hearts as individuals and in our heart as the church collectively. It grows like a baby in a womb that was barren. And then hope prepares the way of the Lord. Hope prepares the way of the Lord. Well, what does that mean? See, Malachi had said it, I'm sending a messenger, he'll prepare the way before me. I'm sending a messenger and he'll prepare the way before me. And then lo and behold, Gabriel comes, he tells this to Zechariah, And then this baby is born, and he speaks of his child, and lo, you will be called prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. You're going to be the messenger that comes to prepare the way of the Lord. Well, we know how John the Baptist prepared the way as he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. As he said, One's coming after me, of whose sandals I'm not worthy to tie. Well, how does hope prepare the way now? Because I believe just like hope was preparing the way for Messiah to come, we as God's people, through lives of hope, we're like signposts to the kingdom that is coming and we're preparing the way for Christ to come again. See, hope, it doesn't ask long what is God going to do for the broken and hurting. Certainly it asks, it prays, God, would you be with so many broken and hurting in our community? But hope shows up at their doorstep of a friend to help. Hope shows up and can look at the students and adults that are there on Tuesday nights in townhomes where children are struggling to make it and they're sharing the hope of Jesus. It can show up Thursday afternoon at a call to play. It can show up at Feed My Sheep or Churches Touching Lives for Christ or at Hope Pregnancy Center where they're seeing God at work and the lives of single mothers. Hope shows up for 50 families 
175 children who thought Christmas might not come to their house this year, but it's coming because hope shows up through the church. See, hope doesn't ask long. What is God going to do about ISIS? I believe it asks it. God, would you bring this evil to an end? But hope looks at Bill and Christy Bowers who live in Lebanon and who lead a team that works in Lebanon, Iraq, and Syria, and Jordan where the local church is rising up and seeing many, many Muslims come to faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, next week, you'll hear from a TBC missionary. Gary will have about a five-minute interview with him that just a couple of weeks ago, he was in northern Iraq in Kurdistan. He was just miles away where, uh, from where al-Baghdadi, the leader of ISIS in Iraq, is in hiding right now. And what was he doing there? He was with little local churches that are growing and surviving in the most difficult of circumstances. When I heard that, I just, I began to pray, God, even among those who are doing evil, would you bring a Saul of Tarsus moment to them? Because nothing is impossible with God. See, hope doesn't ask long what God is going to do about the problems I'm facing. Yes, hope cries out. Yes, hope laments. But hope knows that God has already done something about the greatest problem we all faced. He sent a little baby into a little town, into a little stable, into a little manger. And hope would grow into a sinless man who would live and die and rise from the dead to take our sins away. And even now, hope knows he's preparing a place so that we may be where he is also. See, hope prepares the way because hope is confident of this. With God, a promise made is a promise kept. With God, a promise made is a promise kept. The serpent crusher has come. The prophet like Moses, the one who was to be born in Bethlehem. He has come. And so hope is so confident, I believe, that in transformed lives of believers, hope is so clear that people ask, why Why do you live that way? Why do you hope how you do? In fact, Peter says it this way, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord, always being prepared to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Can you imagine a life so transformed that co-workers and friends say, tell me why you live the way that you live. I want what you've got. Tell me why you have the hope that you have. And then we do so with gentleness and respect. Let me tell you about the hope that has come this Christmas. His name is Jesus. And He offers hope to you and to me and to all those who He's brought into our lives. So live as people who hope in the Christ who has come once and who's coming again. And may our lives be signposts to that kingdom that's coming. Father, we long for the day. We long for the day when sorrows and divisions cease.
We long for the day when every tear is wiped away for all those who are in Christ and you set all things right. God, may your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and may it be done through your people who abide in hope this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.